Job 28. Job speaks of wisdom and understanding. People know where to mine silver and how to refine gold. They know where to dig iron from the earth and how to smelt copper from rock. They know how to shine light in the darkness and explore the farthest regions of the earth as they search in the dark for all. They sink a mine shaft into the earth, far from where anyone lives. They descend on ropes swinging back and forth. Food is grown on the earth above, but down below the earth is melted as by fire. Here the rocks contain precious lapis lazuli, and the dust contains gold. These are treasures no bird of prey can see, no falcon's eye observe. No wild animal has walked upon these treasures. No lion has ever set his paw there. People know how to tear apart flinty rocks and overturn the roots of mountains. They cut tunnels in the rocks and uncover precious stones. They dam up the trickling streams and bring to light the hidden treasures. But do you know where to find wisdom? Where can they find understanding? No one knows where to find it, for it is not found amongst the living. It is not here, says the ocean, nor is it here, says the sea. It cannot be bought with gold. It cannot be purchased with silver. It's worth more than all the gold of Ophir, greater than precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Wisdom is more valuable than gold and crystal. It cannot be purchased with jewels mounted in fine gold. Coral and jasper are worthless in trying to get it. The piece of wisdom is far above rupees. Precious peridot from Ethiopia cannot be exchanged for it. It is worth more than the purest gold. But do people know where to find wisdom? Where can they find understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all humanity. Even the sharp-eyed birds in the sky cannot discover it. Destruction and death say, we've heard only rumours of where wisdom can be found. God alone understands the way to wisdom. He knows where it can be found. For he looks throughout the whole earth and sees everything under the heavens. He decided how hard the wind should blow and how much rain should fall. He made the laws for the rain and laid out a path for the lightning. Then he saw wisdom and evaluated it. He set it in place and examined it thoroughly. And this is what he says to all humanity. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. Welcome back to our study of Job. I'm Ian, and this is the Sailor Time to Pause podcast from Plexus Salvation Army, an online church in the UK. I will stop and breathe in your presence. Just breathe. Just breathe. In Shakespeare's play Hamlet, Shakespeare puts these words into the prince's own mouth when he writes, What a piece of work is man! How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. Humanity truly is amazing and we're capable of great things. Job marveled at what was possible in his day mining for precious metals, regional trade possibilities and building dams and tunnels. But think how much further we've come now. I suppose the most obvious example of this to most of us would be the mobile phones we keep in our pockets and carry around with us all the time. 
Yet they're so much more than just phones now. They can make video calls and are in fact fully functional computers, capable of much more than computers the size of a room could do when I was studying at university. Their sophistication is amazing. We're capable of controlling and manipulating our environment, reclaiming land from the sea and building skyscrapers more than half a mile high. We have cars that can drive themselves fully automatically and operate as driverless taxis. Even my own car will drive itself on a motorway. We can travel the globe with ease. We can sail the seas in ships the size of small cities, or we can sail under the oceans in submarines that only need to surface once every three months, and even then only to restock their food. We've got planes that can carry over 900 passengers and we've built spaceships that could travel at almost 25,000 miles per hour, which could transport me from here in Manchester to central London in around 31 seconds. In our homes, we have kitchen cupboards full of food, oranges from Spain, pineapples from the Philippines, bananas from the Caribbean, rice from China, lemons from Cuba, tuna from the Pacific Ocean, and even uh, Holland's butter pie from down the road in Accrington. Through advances in medical science, we can do heart surgery on day patients, perform delicate operations on the brain while someone is awake. We can survive previously terminal diagnoses, transplant organs, restart stopped hearts, and through genetic manipulation, we can now eliminate some inherited diseases that have plagued mankind for decades. We can look out at the universe, mapping not just our solar system, but our galaxy. We can detect gravitational waves from events over 1.3 billion light years away. We can measure the atmosphere of planets in distant solar systems, and even look at the residual radiation at the edge of the visible universe from the formation of matter in space and time. We know so much, yet do we always know what to do with all of our knowledge? We can genetically modify fertilized eggs to include or exclude certain characteristics. But do we know when that's a good thing or a bad? To eliminate sickle cell anemia, we might say is good, but to create a blonde Aryan master race is bad. But where does the line sit in the middle and how do we deal with the many shades of gray? We can resuscitate patients back to life, but at the times when it's better to just let them go. We can communicate around the world and freely send messages to anyone, but should there be a limit to our freedom? Is it always good to say whatever I want and whenever I want and to whomever I want, regardless of any consequences? I know that I can, but ought I? In order to satisfy the human taste for meat, We've learned to raise chickens, pigs and cows for food without them needing to see the light of day or even needing to learn to walk or spread a wing. We can do it, but is it right? Is that what God intended when he gave us dominion over the world and its creatures? Knowledge does not always bring wisdom. We know how to use rare earth metals to make semiconductors for our mobile phones. But is it wise if, in the process, we pollute rivers, poison wildlife, endanger species and disrupt ecosystems? We've made such dramatic advances in agriculture that we could easily feed and clothe the world. 
Yet still a fifth of the world's population live in absolute poverty of hunger, malnutrition, widespread disease, high infant mortality, squalid living conditions, fear and insecurity. Does this demonstrate what Hamlet called our nobility of reason? Does this show our wisdom? We can build bombs that could kill in their millions, create viruses that can kill specific targets or decimate whole continents in their billions. Our armed forces can kill more efficiently than ever before, and they can also be far more precise in their waging of war than has ever been possible before. But when should we deploy them and when should they stay in their barracks? Knowledge does not always bring wisdom. Mankind can truly do marvellous things. The breadth and depth of knowledge that now exists within our world is staggering, yet at times we surely have to wonder if our wisdom has kept pace. We have knowledge, but do we have wisdom? But they're not the same thing. As the journalist Miles Kington said, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Or as Jesus might have said, knowledge is knowing how to build a house. Wisdom is building it on a rock rather than on sand. Wisdom may be lacking in our world, but it's not hard to find if we look in the right place. If we want to be wise, we don't need to ask lots of difficult questions or study many and varied philosophical theories. For wisdom comes from God, not from human understanding. The wise do not depend on their own understanding and on human learning to guide them in the questions of how they should live their life. But instead, they trust in God, in his commands and laws and guidance. Job tells his friends that you find wisdom when you fear God. You find wisdom when you turn from wrong things. And Job already had this wisdom. Job's story is not just the story of a man who suffered. It's the story of how a wise man suffered and retained his wisdom through immeasurable trials and appalling circumstances. Right from the moment we're introduced to him, we're to read his story as an account of events in the life of a wise man. In chapter 1 and verse 1, if you remember, we read these words. There once was a man named Job. He feared God and stayed away from evil. When we think of fear, we usually associate the word with terror. It's often considered to be a negative thing, anxiety and agitation flowing from danger, evil and pain. The feeling you get when you see a rat, or when you go to the doctor or dentist, or when you're about to knock on a door. It's the dread of the unknown. But that's not the sensation that Job is referring to. Nowadays, we might replace that word fear with reverence or awe, deference or devotion or worship. Job was not afraid of God. Rather, he had a deep reverence and respect for the Lord. He was awed and humbled by his presence. He adored God and was loyal to him. To fear God is to recognize that he is the creator and we are simply the creatures. He is the master and we are simply the servants. He is the father and we are privileged to be his children. It was Job's wisdom that enabled him to endure his trials without losing his faith. It was because his life was built on the solid rock of God 
rather than the shifting sands of his own human thoughts, that he was able to stay strong when the storms of life howled and raged around him. His beliefs, actions, joy, peace, goodness and faithfulness were not dependent upon his outward circumstances, which were there one day and gone the next, nor were they based upon his own inner resources of health. They were dependent solely upon his eternal, unchanging God. When his life was at its worst, Job chose to look to God. And by looking to his God, rather than looking at his pain, Job was able to see the wise way to live. He only needed to trust and honour God as he did before the trouble came. Oswald Chambers said this, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. This is wisdom, says Job. Worship God and say no to wrong thoughts and actions. This does not mean that there's no place for learning or skill, simply that it must be held in its proper place. Human knowledge and understanding is by definition a shifting sand. It changes. Today, butter is a healthy option, but yesterday it was margarine and tomorrow it'll be spreadable coconut oil, but it shifts on a grander scale too. The changeable nature of knowledge is the foundation of the scientific principle. It's the cornerstone that allows it to develop. Each new piece of knowledge changes what's believed to be true and is often built upon the refutation of a previously held view. Science works only because scientists are fundamentally willing to change their minds. At one time, we thought all matter was composed of varying quantities of earth, fire, wind and water, and then we believed it to be elemental atoms, and now quantum theory would tell us that matter is in fact the harmonic resonances of 10, 11 or even 26 dimensional strings and membranes compacted into our familiar four-dimensional space-time. Knowledge changes and grows. The sands shift and the dunes wax and wane. Valuable though knowledge and understanding are, they're not a fundamentally secure bedrock on which to build our lives. Wisdom, on the other hand, is eternal and immovable, the same yesterday, today and forever. One of the greatest threats that Christianity faces today is the assumption that it stands in conflict with scientific thought, that one can either believe in one or the other, God or science, but not both. And yet that's a false dichotomy, for science points us towards God. Einstein put it this way, Everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that some spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, one that is vastly superior to that of man. The problem involved in understanding the nature of our universe is too vast for our limited minds. We're in the position of a child entering a huge library filled with books in many languages. The child knows someone must have written these books. It doesn't know how. It doesn't understand the languages in which they're written. The child dimly suspects a mysterious order in the arrangement of the books, but doesn't know what it is. That, it seems to me, said Einstein, is the attitude of even the most intelligent human being towards God. We see the universe marvelously arranged and obeying certain laws, but only dimly understand these laws.
the assumption that science contradicts God and that right-thinking people cannot also be people of faith is perhaps the greatest challenge faced by the Christian in today's increasingly secular world. It's unthinkingly accepted by too many people and it's cynically perpetuated by ardent atheists that in order to have faith, Christians must leave their brains at the door of their churches and sacrifice their reasoning and critical thought on the ancient altar of dogma. But to Job, these two do not seem to stand in conflict. It was the Lord who made our knowledge possible. He created the laws which science seeks to discover, and they each point towards him, the God whose spirit hovered over the chaos of creation and brought forth order. The more we learn about the universe, its marvels and how it works, the greater our reverence for the God who made it can become. As Paul said in his letter to the Romans, all creation declares the glory of God. Knowledge must always be tempered with wisdom if it's to be fruitful, and the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Reverence of the Lord is true wisdom. Our response to all our knowledge is worship. Each new discovery should lead us in awe towards greater devotion. Just as when wandering through the woods or forest glades, just as when hearing the birds sing sweetly in the trees or looking down from atop a lofty mountain, just as when hearing a brook babble or feeling a gentle breeze against our sing, we let our souls sing out, how great is our God, so too when we consider all the worlds God's hands have made, when we see the stars or hear the rolling thunder and are reminded of God's power throughout the universe, then we too should let our souls sing out, how great is our God. Wisdom allows all our knowledge to point to our Creator. It's not a threat to belief. If we're wise, our knowledge becomes but a stimulus to even greater worship. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder Thy power throughout the universe displayed Take away. 
Hello, this has been Sailor Time to Pause, a podcast from Plexus Salvation Army, an online church in the UK. I'm Ian. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Sam. If you've enjoyed journeying with us over these last few weeks, join us every Monday. Or any day that works for you. To spend time together, taking time out to pause, catch our breath, draw near to God and refresh our spirits. We share Bible teachings, reflections on songs we're listening to, and on what's going on in the world around us. As well as this, on the last day of the month, we look back and reflect, share any thoughts from our listener community, and ask what we can take from it into our daily living. What we call our personal So What's for the month. Join us, making us part of your regular routine, spending a few minutes to listen to what God might be saying to you. Find us on your favourite podcast streaming service, on Facebook or YouTube by searching for Selah. That's S-E-L-A-H. Time to pause.